Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On the Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot, available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming service. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Deanna Minnick, the founder of Food and Spirit. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to On the Spot with On the Dot. I'm Melinda Garvey, your host, and I'm really excited to have here today with me Deanna Minnick, who is an internationally recognized teacher, author, scientist, speaker, author, and artist. She is an expert in the fields of nutrition and functional medicine, and she has also authored six books on health and wellness. So she really knows her stuff and has some really interesting and intriguing things just all about our hard charging lives and our, our bodies, but also, you know, how to deal with some other things. So Deanna, welcome. We're really excited to have you here today. Thank you, Melinda. It's great to be here with you. And because, of course, On the Dot is all about providing access to relatable role models, and we really like to see the path of all different kinds of women and all different kinds of career paths they took and just what inspired them and their passion. So I'd love for you to just to kind of go back and tell us, how did you end up in medicine and in this very specifically, this kind of functional medicine and all the really interesting things that you're doing? Let's see. You know, I think primarily it's coming from more of a personal journey. And I think for many people in the healing arts, there always is a personal story attached. So for me, uh, growing up, I had a very strict, restricted and regimented childhood. So I went to Catholic school. My father was a police officer. My mom was, I would say at that time when I was growing up, she would be labeled a health nut. So there was a lot of restriction around my eating, around who I was, my lifestyle. And I ended up um, with a number of different chronic health conditions by the time I was a teenager, what I would call more stress-induced conditions as well, and stress tied right into what I was eating. So I had endometriosis, which was, well, it is an inflammatory condition of the uterus. I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had bad skin. I had low energy. I was moody. I mean, I look at all of these things now like, wow, if I could go through my teen years again, with what I know from my whole journey. But then, you know, that's life, right? Sometimes we have these things that are placed in our path and there are some of the biggest lessons. So I think that really my path unfolded from the point of trying to figure myself out, trying to undo some things, trying to feel better, be happier. And for me, that meant also being healthy. So I got on my path with school. I really like school. I always like learning. So I liked being a student as much as I like teaching. So I went to, to college. I then went to grad school. I then went on for my doctorate. And it was really funny that I studied nutrition because that was the one thing that I was so resistant to when I was growing up was the fact that I had to eat good, healthy foods. But here I was now in my 20s, I was going to study nutrition. And so, uh, yeah. And then after I did all of that, I went to work for a couple of large companies and I got to understand a little bit about business. And that helped me to define what I really wanted in my daily life. You know, I was very stressed. Even though I knew about healthy eating, I really had not mastered healthy living. To... I don't think any of us have. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so we just need some ways. And now, you know, I've created my own schedule where I'm in year five of my own business. I was just telling my husband this morning about how I just love waking up to a day that I get to create. And so nobody sets my schedule other than me 
which is liberating. And I know not everybody can really come from that place immediately, but I do think that there are ways to inch along that trajectory in order to make us feel like we have more freedom. Right. Very interesting. Well, that's awesome. And it's interesting when you talk about just your sort of the, the situation you grew up in contributing to your health. And I think that, you know, we read about that a lot today. I think that sometimes trying to control, you know, when my kid was really little, I'm like, eat the dirt. You know, it wasn't a five second rule. It was like a, you know, oh, I don't know, two minute rule because kids are so sanitary, right? And, And the allergies that kids have, I never knew anybody with a peanut allergy. And now half the kids have peanut allergies. So it's really intriguing how environmentally, you know, it's almost like we trigger these things. You know, and I think that we do that as women. I can relate to just that dress response and, you know, being, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm around a lot lot of entrepreneurs and around a lot of startup entrepreneurs when they're Mm -hmm. trying to grow and scale their businesses. And, you know, it's sort of just off the charts, right? Trying to to manage all that. Keyword that you just mentioned too is manage and control. And I think that one of the things that has changed for me now in my late forties is that I've always been very ambitious, achievement-oriented, goal-oriented. It's kind of like the goddess Artemis or Diana, who is very much in the forest with her bow and arrow and always about a target. And I think for me now at the stage in my life that I'm at currently, I kind of feel like I'm done with the targets. I'm done with the bow and arrow. I'm really more about opening my arms up to expansion, opening my arms up to possibility. I think sometimes when we remove ourselves from the rat race of forcing and directing, I remember one of the the corporations that I was working at, we got to do a personality test. And when I did my personality test, I was a driver driver. I was one of those like, you know, just always had to be doing. and, And that was the way that I thought I needed to be in the world. I mean, I was raised in a very linear way of thinking like, if you do these things, you'll have this outcome. And then I soon realized that it's not always about that. And I feel like now in my late forties, I've achieved a lot of those things. And now I can kind of let go and see where can I serve best? Where can I collaborate most? How can I connect with people in really deep, meaningful ways? In fact, just this morning, I had a a meeting with my team. Uh, I was telling them, I said, you know, for me, it's not about quantity of people that join my programs. It's really about quality. And they were kind of laughing, I think, because I said, even if I have 10 people that I can really nurture and nourish those connections very well and prepare them for whatever I'm teaching them about, to me, that that's a greater and more satisfying experience than having a thousand people. I just feel like my focus has changed dramatically. And I think it's really just shape-shifted my life uh, entirely and created much more satisfaction. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to someone the other day who just talked about when her transformation finally happened is when she gave up the chase, when she stopped chasing success and really sort of just was just open to it coming to her, you know, and just how that just that whole mindset of success changed. And I do feel like we're always chasing after you. We're chasing after better this, better that, better health, you know, more money, whatever that is. So yeah, it's interesting. We have a culture of that, I think. We do have a culture of that. I call it the SOS, the shiny object syndrome. (laughs) You know, I work in an area that's much more health professional inclined. And so what's, what I see there is like, they never think that they know enough Mm -hmm. and they also don't take care of themselves enough. And so it's kind of this dichotomy of the head and the heart don't know enough, don't actually have enough self-love to realize that they are in the perfect place for themselves at all times. And so 
Yeah, I think, and sometimes I say, you know, stop the books, stop the doing, stop the, you know, I, I feel like so many of us have, well, we all have a wealth of knowledge on the inside. It's just that we're not taking the time to do that work. You know, it's more like, give me the next book, give me the next course, give me the next certification, give me the next summit, because maybe I'll find my answer. It's the SOS. It's the shiny object syndrome. And I do think that you're right. People are seeking I think what what you're trying to do in your field and what we're trying to do with On The Dot is to meet, you know, women where they are and help them see their own path, right? But sometimes seeing your own path is seeing someone else walking that path and going, wait a minute, now all of a sudden I can see, you know what, I might turn a little bit right here, but I can actually walk in that path a little bit because I, I see those. And I think that success has seemed so scarce for women. And that's kind of perpetuated in the media that, that there's a scarcity. And what we're all about is really talking about that abundance of success and, and how that is. So, you know, it is interesting, you know, just that whole seeking. So I read a couple of articles that you did, and I thought you gave some really great advice that I would love for you to share here. One of them was about just talking about toxic people in your life. How do you deal with it? And sometimes you, you know, there may, it might be family and you have to deal with them or coworkers. And how do you sort of assess that and deal with that? And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that because I think all of us are, you know, have, deal with that. And that certainly will make, makes life easier and we don't have those people around us. Yeah. Well, and just to zoom out of that for a second, one of the activities that I give people is, I call it the energy inventory. So the energy inventory is where you take a piece of paper and you make a line down the middle or you can fold it in two. And on one side, you put a plus. On the other side, you put a minus. And you set your timer on your smartphone for five minutes. And for five minutes, on the side of the plus, you write down all the things that give you energy. And that includes people, places, events, conversations, work things. Uh, it could be anything. It could be colors. It could be health activities. There's no limit to what you can put there. And then for another five minutes, you have the minus side where you write down all the things that take away your energy. And that could be people, all the same things. So it could be like Mondays. Mondays are energy draining or meetings are energy draining. You know, whatever drains you like a vampire, you write those things down. And then from that list, number one, look at which list is longer. Is the depleting longer than the energizing? And if so, how can you shift? Maybe you can't get rid of family members <laughs> like you might want to, but you can shift other things so that you don't feel perhaps the drain so much. Like you have enough nourishing activities. Maybe you're doing your yoga or you're doing, you know, for me, it's being in nature. I love being outside. I love going hiking. So if I have enough of those activities on the heels of maybe a family visit, by the way, my family doesn't drain me, but if they did, I <laughs> that on the record, my family, <laughs> totally. I just, they were just visiting me actually. And it was great, but um, there are other things that do drain me. That's for sure. Yeah. So I have to note those things and accommodate. So first you have to know if you don't know what drains you and what energizes you, then it's just, it's a shot in the dark. Right. So Invest the 10 minutes to figure out what your inventory is. And then from that, I would say a couple of things. One of the things that I was taught by one of my teachers, a spiritual teacher some years ago is it's always nice to ratchet yourself up and out of an experience to say not what that experience is doing to me like a victim, because then you're going to feel depleted automatically. Right. How can I learn from this person? I remember doing some training with a Buddhist man, um, gosh, two decades ago now. And I remember he had this handout and it said, difficult people are the best teachers. 
And that has always stuck in my mind of every time I have a person who I might deem as difficult, I try to take myself out of that physical fray and noise and ratchet up and say, okay, look down. What is that person teaching me? Wow, they might actually be getting me to refine some of my own views or some of my own perspectives, or they might be leading me to question certain things that I hold as truths or things that I take for granted. So I think if we can come from the place of opportunity and expansion rather than contraction, fear, victim, which I think can lead to so many different things, including illness, I think we move ourselves away from stress and into the expansion more of love, healing, learning. And that, by the way, it may sound easy, but it's not, you know, it's something I constantly have to work at, you know, constantly, like every day, there's going to be something that kind of, you know, it's, it's going to be like, ooh, that's kind of annoying or frustrating or, you know, but then it's like, okay, maybe I missed my flight because I was supposed to talk with this person who's sitting next to me, which is then leading me to my next conversation with this other person. I mean, you just don't know where you're going to go with things, right? So if we were just open and expansive, First of all, it'll do our health good. Our blood vessels will be expansive. You know, uh, we're not going to be contracting, having high blood pressure and feeling the strain on our hearts, having the strain in our minds. So first of all, physiologically, we're going to benefit. And then psychologically, we just don't know what we're open for. I was just listening to an interview with uh, Mark Hyman and uh, Michael Beckwith this past weekend. And it was really great because, you know, there is this thing about conscious intention versus deliberate surrender. It's kind of, what, again, what another one of my teachers said years ago that has stuck with me that we set an intention and then we let it go. So with these difficult people that we might have in our lives, you know, first to ask, what are we learning? What is the high? Because maybe we have some kind of, maybe they're like our biggest angel, kind of in a, <laughs> a rough casing. And, but the rough casing is required for us to pay attention because if they were too nice, maybe we wouldn't have that same, you know, having to pay attention experience. Right. You talk about just these mental things can affect you physically. There's something you say in here about that those with a supportive, nourishing social network have lower stress levels, a stronger immune system, and may even lower rates of mortality. And the opposite is true with a social community that is consistently undermines you or makes you feel unsupportive. And I'll tell you, I think that this is a really key thing that I hear about all the time with women. I'm constantly asking, you know, how do you find your tribe? How do you find those people who are going to support you? And I hear this a lot, like people think they find them and then they're tearing them down. And that really struck me as just super fascinating. So I, I do think I've thought a lot about that as well, because I've had very similar experiences where you think that you find your tribe and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, they're not really in my best interest. I think so many of us are acting from our subconscious. And often when I see a person coming from a place of jealousy, bitterness, resentment, there's something that is being triggered in them. And it's almost like a, a subconscious pattern. Again, if we can ratchet ourselves up and realize that that person, in as much as we are, is really seeking love, I think we remove ourselves from the energetic, um, yeah, like the tethers of it, where it becomes less emotional for us. And if we can even reverse it, I think that within people's spiritual paths and life paths, I think we can get to a point where eventually we look to people with compassion rather than say that, wow, we can have anybody in our tribe then because we're looking at it from a different perspective. But I do think that along our path, it is important to find people that, I mean, it just kind of depends what you're looking for. I, I like people in my tribe that are going to be real with me. 
Like, I don't want yes people um, all the time to be just saying, oh, yes to whatever you want, Deanna. I think that's a great idea. It's like, no, tell me what you really think. Right. That is a value. And then I know that, you know, to me, that confers trust and authenticity. And I'd rather that than, you know, somebody saying behind my back, oh, well, I don't think she should be doing this. But then they never told me. You have to find what is a value for you and, you know, be consistent. When I was growing up, especially like the past two decades, I would give people three chances. Kind of like the first time something happens, it's kind of like, okay, maybe that was just the circumstance. But then if it happens another time, it's like, okay, now I'm a little bit more on guard. And if it happens a third time, then it's like, okay, it's time to close. It's time to now energetically start to move back, physically curtail my interactions in as much as I can. Because I do think that there's a limit, right? There is a way of cutting the noise of things around us that can be seen as toxic. But again, we don't know unless we do an inventory. And we're going to have to do that inventory. Like sometimes I like to do it on a monthly basis or every couple of months because things change. Every moment is like a particle. And we put all these particles together. It's like nothing is, we are just for the sake of our experience trying to bring it together into a cohesive whole. But everything is so able to be melded as we go. We're constantly sculpting. Right. And I think that whole self-awareness thing is incredibly important because, you know, you look at the outside factors, like we were talking about toxic people and how to deal with them. But sometimes it's our own thoughts that are really toxic, right? Yes. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Yes. I do think again, you know, just in, you know, female empowerment space, it's, it's what you hear about a lot that we are just our own worst enemies. So how do we overcome those negative thoughts? Excellent question. And I'm so glad that you interface that with the toxic people because how many times, this is for all the listeners to be thinking about this with themselves, how many times have we thought that a person was thinking something about us and we kind of acted accordingly? And maybe it was from a place of fear, kind of like, oh, I think she's talking behind my back. We actually have no evidence of that. We don't really have the full story. It's again, it's like the subconscious pattern. So the activities that I recommend for, um, and I talk about this in my whole detox book, is to spend a little bit of time with our thoughts like we spend perhaps even with our food. You know, many people like to read their food labels and that they're taking in all the right things for their bodies, right? So why don't we do the same with our thoughts? Actually do a reading of our thoughts and say, you know what, this is serving me, this is not serving me. So one quick activity is I have people take a post-it note stack. And in fact, I'm going to be doing a retreat coming up and we're going to do this activity again because it's so illuminating. You take a stack of post-it notes and you set a timer. The timer can be set for three minutes. I usually like three to five minutes because I don't think you need very much. There's so much right there at the level of the subconscious as it meets the conscious that you just get that out. So for that amount of time, three to five minutes, what you do is you write down one thought per post-it note. So if I was having a thought right now, I'd write that thought down quickly put that aside and then have the next post-it note. What is my next thought? And as you do that, it's remarkable because you start putting up the post-it notes on a a wall. And I've done this with large groups of people where they're just anonymous, all of our thoughts up there. And it's amazing how many people, number one, have the same thoughts. (laughs) Number two, how many people have the same reoccurring, even if it's the same thought, I still have them write it down. How many thoughts are reoccurring? Mm-hmm. Number three, how many thoughts are truly negative, like not life promoting, not expansive, they're contractive, fear-based. Right. 
And so then we can take the universe of these thoughts and kind of look at the post-it notes and figure out which one is really connecting to us, like maybe in the way of having an emotional response, taking that and do what I call the cancel reset technique. So let's just say we had a thought of, um, you know, I am stressed out. Maybe that's our thought. I'm stressed out right now. So we write that down. Then we are more connected to that thought as we're looking at all the thoughts. So what would happen if we shifted, reframed that into an affirmation? In this moment, I am perfectly at ease. We write that out. And what I think is really important is rather than just to have the words, is to feel that in the body. So much of whether or not these personal growth techniques take hold depends on how much we anchor them into the soma, the body. And so when we have the affirmation of I'm stressed out, like really feeling where that is in the body, right now, if I think about it, I feel it's up here. I'm stressed out. And it requires, you know, some practice in doing that. Some people are so out of connection with their bodies that they don't even know where they feel anything. (laughs) So it takes some practice and it's like a muscle. We have to get into exercising again. But then if I say to myself, in this moment, I am perfectly calm, I feel that in my low belly, you know, and really to, there is this sense of ease that I feel even in my upper body. And so when we have the phrase in combination with our body to continue to exercise that, and then I have little post-it notes like around my bathroom mirror. I used to have them in my kitchen. When I was working through a lot of eating things, I would have hearts and phrases on my refrigerator, on my blender. I have this one with a goddess, this beautiful woman in my, uh, one of my food cabinets. So like I would try to prime my environment with signals to epigenetically start to reshape my thinking. And oftentimes the mind works not just in words, but symbols and images. So even around my desk, I mean, right across from me, you can't see it, but I have a mandala, a beautiful, gorgeously glittery mandala, you know, something to, again, kind of bring me back and reset me. Traditions did that from long ago. And I think that the more that we can do that, that's why I think on social media, people love those inspirational quotes. They love inspirational imagery. What we're doing each time we see those images and read those phrases is we're resetting our our cognitive template. It's almost like a little mini reset button. Let's just say that we have like a deluge, right? We're going to need a lot of resetting. It's like a computer. (laughs) We have to get in, delete, delete, or replace, replace, replace. It's a constant work in progress. So I would say, look at your environment. I mean, you have that word behind you, inspire. I love that. You know, what are the words? What are the colors that are around you? Go into your bathroom and into your kitchen because these are the most sensitive areas for people. Like, what do you have in your bathroom? Are you afraid to be in the mirror? Or, um, you know, how do you embrace your mirror? Do you write words with lipstick on your mirror that remind you of you know your bigger potential there can be all kinds of fun things that we can do i love that though i think that that's great about just you know understanding what those triggers are and that that reset and putting the thoughts out there i love all that that's really 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 interesting so as we're all trying to sort of live healthier lives i think everybody's striving for that at some level is there something that you could recommend especially to women every day when you wake up do this is there some little thing that you do that just you, you found that really makes you feel amazing or just starts your day off right? Besides, <laughs> listen to On the Dot, of course. Oh, it- um, actually, this is going to sound very funny. The, the way that I wake up is a very, I, I never use an alarm clock. I really like to savor my mornings. I give myself enough time 
my sleep is one of my most treasured things in my life. I mean, if my sleep is rocked, it's like my whole day is rocked. And so one of the biggest things in my routine is to oversee my sleep, to make sure that I'm going to bed with ease, I'm waking with ease. And I really love, my husband is a night owl and I'm kind of a morning person. So it's nice because I go to bed kind of in my own rhythm and I wake up in a quiet, still I kind of lay there. So I, I think that the stillness, I think many people, they jump right into work mode. They jump right into the kitchen. They jump, but I just like to have a slow start. And then I get really inspired. And, and so stillness, I, I know it sounds very simple, but there is something to be said about stillness. And I think some of the best insights come from those moments of quiet and really being quiet. So it's during that sleep time. And Sleep is like the new medicine, right? I mean, you have Ariana Huffington talking about it. You've got people that are now shifting their foot. We've been so focused on food for some time. And food is great. Food is medicine. I get that. I studied that my whole life. There's no doubt about it. But there is something to be said about sleep. And I think that sleep does tie into coming into center with ourselves. It's really finding that, that stillness, the quietude that is so important and so lacking in our lives. Just to piggyback onto that question too. I like to have every day be very novel. Like I don't have certain things. Like when you ask me, I get this question all the time, Deanna, what do you do every day that makes your day complete? It's like, the one thing I do is make sure that I'm not doing the same thing every day. <laughs> like I don't, I try to stay away from ruts and regimens and routines because I grew up with so much regimen and so much routine and restriction and boxes. The thing that speaks to me most now is freedom and creativity and expansion. And so when I get into a rut, whether it's a food rut, I'm wearing the same clothes, the same color, then I know it's time to start shaking it up. So even every day, I really do think about like, hey, how is this day any different? Well, it's interesting. Well, I, I try to walk every morning and just to get my body moving, but I don't ever listen to any music or headphones. I don't take my cell phone. And I see all these people and they have their headphones in and I just like to hear and it's amazing the thinking that I get done or just that 30 minute walk without anybody else. I mean, just the outdoor sounds or even just a, a saying hello to a neighbor, but that's about it. And that's kind of my still, if you will. I like it. I bet that that would be very acceptable to most people because then they feel like they're doing something while they're not doing something, which is the perfect blend for people. Awesome. Just as we are talking about role models and, and we're all about role models and thank you for being such a great role model for us. Are there people in your life that have been role models to you? Is there anybody that sort of stands out that you want to share? So many. Uh, I'll, <laughs> my mom is really a role model in many ways. Um, she's one of the strongest, most tenacious mentally tenacious, uh, and even physically. I mean, she, I think growing up, I had such a rocky relationship with her. I think mothers and daughters are always at, mm -hmm. I don't know, it just seems like for many of my friends and family, I just see that contention or they, I don't know what it is, but now I look back like, wow, my mom was so cutting edge. She was such a she didn't care, you know, what other people thought. She kind of went about her way in a very truth-filled, authentic way. And even now, I mean, I said to her not so long ago when she was just visiting, it's kind of like, we're like friends now, which is incredible. So she has been a role model. I would say a lot of my teachers have been role models. I know a lot of people did not have good experiences with um, Catholic school, but I did. <laughs> I love school. I love my nuns. Um, I love the priests. 
they were awesome. I was in a very been a good student, and you didn't get your knuckles wrapped with the room. No, I didn't. I did no. I you know I went to school in the seventies, eighties, so I don't know if we were behind that um, by that time. But no, it's so many great teachers, too many to even list. And you know, just even more uh, currently, Jeff Bland, who is um, really the founder of functional medicine, he's been an incredible role model to me. And what I really like about Jeff is that. He's always about empowering women, which is really fantastic. He's always brought that forth and really does see women being at the helm. Although what I'd like to cultivate is more balance. I think men and women, we don't want to get into a state now where now everything goes topsy-turvy in order to make up for the imbalance. And now, you know, it'd be nice to have a balance of men and women. My view is that diversity is what adds stability and resilience to the greater whole. And so if we just kind of offset that by only focusing on women and not on men, I mean, men have as many issues and things to work on as women do. And I think that they have been maligned, but maybe in different ways. And so to me, it's about the fact that we have masculine and feminine within us. You know, we have the Artemis, we have the goal-oriented goddess, as much as we have Hestia and a lot of the motherly goddesses, right? Kind of connected into our female archetypes. So I see it all as really important. And in this time that we're living in, it's, it's even more essential because maybe everybody feels like this during the time that they live, but I feel like this earth and people really need us to step up to our highest game. There's no more messing around. It's kind of like <laughs> we need to all pull together and we need to start living through our own example and to be in back to the word behind you we have to be inspiring and have to be informing uh i feel like this is where we are right and i think that we need to, to bring civility back you know i just had a lengthy conversation about that and and how we do that and i think it's through these role models and to your point role models can come from that's what the, the greatest thing about a role model is you can have hundreds of them and you can get different nuggets from all these different people and help craft and cobble together your path but by seeing these people and both men and women. So I think as, as much as we can continue to seek those people and, and have access to those is really wonderful and helpful as we're on our journeys. Absolutely. Thanks yeah. for calling out the role models because I, I do think it's so important to honor our lineage too. You know, where, where did we study? Where did we learn all of this from? It's not like it just, and, and this is really the science of epigenetics. We talk about like epigenetics of eating and how that is influencing our DNA. But what about who we are psychologically, how do we enter into this space and what is the kind of the psychological lineage and the familial, the ancestral lineage that we're coming from. So yeah, I think it's, it's important to recognize that we're part of the greater whole. And I think that when we do that, it's back to your questions about toxic people, toxic thoughts. When we ratchet ourselves up and out, we see the greater whole and we have much more appreciation, gratitude, expansiveness. And to me, this is really the, um, the aspect of spirituality, which I think uh, is, is entering into many of our spheres. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your thoughts and encouragement in this issue and your pieces of advice. It's been wonderful. And you can find lots more about you. You've got a podcast, you've got lots of books, all kinds of interesting information. You're doing so much. And you can go to deannaminick.com and we'll put the link with this podcast and video as well. So everybody will be able to find you. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, Melinda. It's a pleasure to be on the dot. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass babe you are meant to be. 
Tune in next Thursday when we sit down with one of New York's most recognizable street artists, Claudia Gold, where she will discuss how she clawed her way to success as the founder, CEO, and artist of Claw Money. We are focused on your success, which is why we are hosting the first ever on the dot See It to Be It Success Summit in Austin, Texas. Join us on Thursday, October 18th, 2018 at Vintage Villas for a day jam-packed with panels, workshops, and networking opportunities with some of the best in the biz, including Brooklyn Decker and Whitney Casey, the founders of Finery, Wendy Davis, founder of Deeds Not Words, and former Texas State Senator, Jordan Jones, the CEO and founder of Pact Party, and so many more incredibly successful women. We want to provide you with the tools you need to succeed and to get out there and be the boss babe you are always meant to be. Have you purchased your ticket for the See It To Be It Success Summit? What are you waiting for? Head on over to onthedotwoman.com to purchase your tickets today.